Hi, this is Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by someone that Blackhawk fans and hockey writers around the country will know very well, Mark Lazarus of The Athletic. Mark, how are you today? I'm good, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Excited that we may have a season coming up soon, but nothing's been set in stone, but even still, the prospect of having some hockey back is exciting. Yeah, it looks like mid-January, so we're right up in New Year's. I think training camps will start, and uh, we'll dive right in. Yeah, dive right in. So diving right into this interview, what got you into writing about hockey? What got you into the sports writing field? Oh, God, I, I wanted to be a sports writer since I was, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old. I, I grew up on Long Island, and uh, I should taught myself to read by reading the sports section of Newsday, which back then just had a murderer's role of sports writers, Marty Noble and Ivan Mizell and Bob Glauber and just... Uh, John F. Howard, just an incredible roster they had. Uh, and that really got me uh, um, kind of a love of the, of, the, of the craft of sports writing. And uh, uh, it's really all I ever wanted to do. I went to college for it. And uh, hockey's always been my favorite sport. It was the sport I was most passionate about, I think, uh, growing up. And uh, my first job was a hockey writing job in the Pittsburgh suburbs. And after a little hiatus of working uh, for a local paper here in Northwest Indiana, um, I got lucky and uh, fell kind of backwards into a job at the Sun Times and never looked back. Yeah, never looking back. So you've covered the Blackhawks for what? It was at least six, seven years now, not in, not including your stints, uh, just doing time with the Athletic. It was at least six years with the Sun Times. You got to also cover the Blackhawks at the center of our nation's democracy in Washington D.C. at the White House. How does the White House compare to other venues you've done coverage for sports at? I mean, when you're at the White House as a, as a schlubby sports writer, you don't really have a whole lot of access. We're just kind of there. So you kind of uh, sneak into the uh, press room. You get to watch a press briefing. Uh, I was fortunate that after the 2013 Cup, uh, Lynn Sweet, who was the Sun-Times uh, Washington correspondent, kind of an icon, he's here on TV all the time. Yeah. He basically took me all around Washington. You know, I had lunch at the press club. Um, she took me to Dick Durbin's party with the Stanley Cup at the Senate after that. Uh, so I, I really got kind of a behind-the-scenes tour. She took me out of the press uh uh, bullpen in the, at the White House. Uh, so I took a little bit behind the scenes, but there's only so much you can do. It's not like I was chilling uh, on the couch with Obama at the time, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but that that's it's still cool. You get to go in the press room at the White House as a sports reporter. Not a lot of guys and gals can say that they've done that, especially as a sports writer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the perks of the job. I remember uh, <laughs> uh, me and Tracy Myers, were we, we were in Minnesota uh, for one of the 9,000 times we've been in Minnesota for hockey, and we're having lunch with Michael Russo. At Cassetta, uh, Michael Russo, of course, everybody knows who Michael Russo is. Yeah. He's the athletic. And, uh, and, and somehow we got into the conversation of, you know, which White House visit was better, which one was more interesting, which, and then Russo's tweeting about how just we're the most entitled jackasses he's ever heard. <laughs> we're talking about which White House uh, visit was better because he covers the Wild and he's going to be a long time before he ever covers a, a White House visit. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you try to appreciate it at the time, and I think I did. Uh, we get to do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, in this job, and you try not to take it for granted. Yeah. So, what was your reaction? I remember where I was uh, two, three years ago when Coach Quenville got dismissed. What was your reaction? Take us through your day when that happened as a sports writer. What What goes through the 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 job the job as when something that shocking happens on like on such a weekday morning? Well, I don't know if it was shocking. I mean, it's always shocking when the second winningest coach of all time gets fired, but there were. There were things. I remember we were out west right before that, 
Uh, the, the last game was it was it, I remember you know Patrick Kane was sick in Vancouver. He didn't play, so the Hawks lost that game, and he kind of took up some of the blame on himself for that for not playing. And then the last game was in Calgary, and before the game, I heard rumblings that the, the Hawks were changing their travel plans. Normally, they would because uh, it's a West Coast game, they would they would stay the night and then come back in the morning, but they were going to leave right after the game, which is usually the kind of thing you do from a, a closer city than Calgary. Yeah, there was some shenanigans going on, so I my my, my you know my antenna were up. And I, 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 I contacted a few sources I know who said that there's rumblings, we don't know. So I, I didn't know that it was going to happen, but I had a sense that it could happen. They had four days off there. It was one of those things where if it was going to happen, it was going to happen then. Um, and then the morning it happened, I was I was walking to my car to go to the gym, and I, I my phone dinged, and I'm like, oh, crap, they fired Joe Gwendolyn. So I ran back in the house. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I covered the team for, what, six, seven years at that point. So I had a lot of institutional knowledge, things I picked up along the way that, especially with my book and everything that I wrote, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people in a casual settings and I, I, I gleaned a lot of information about behind the scenes stuff that had gone on that I never really reported because it never really was relevant, but it was the kind of stuff that you kind of keep in your back pocket for a moment like this. So sure. within an hour of the firing, I had a full column up with tons of background and history and all kinds of behind the scenes stuff that, that other people didn't have. Um, you know, and that's kind of what you do in this business. You just kind of squirrel away information for when you're going to need it. You know, I have stuff for all kinds of contingencies in the future. If there's a big news story, I have at least – I'll be able to write more than just the lead graph. I'll have some background and I'll have some context and I'll be able to provide some information on that because that's what you do in this business. You just – you talk to people and you talk to people and you keep talking to people and you squirrel things away and you have, you know, the, the, the key points in your head for when you need them. And that was one of those – you know, kind of serendipitous moments where I had all this information that was germane to the topic and I was able to write it real fast. And that was one of the, you know, the biggest stories I've had at The Athletic was that column. That, yeah, I remember reading that column. I, I, I'll never forget it. It was my, I think it was my sophomore or junior year in high school. I was riding the bus, the intercampus shuttle between um, my two high schools. And I'll never forget the reaction. My jaw hit the floor and... And it says, you know, Jeremy Colleton has been appointed the new coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. I, I will never forget that day in my life. Yeah, I, I love those PR emails where they, they bury the lead. Where it's not Joel Quenville fired, it's Jeremy Colleton hired. <laughs> yeah. That was the story that day. <laughs> no, I get, th- I get that. And that's... It's that's... like, like you're to cover college basketball and like Valparaiso would be like, you know, uh, uh, Sean Huff scores 12 points in 90 to 20 loss. Yeah, no, you got. I I understand that, and that makes sense. And I and I hear where you're coming from on that with the putting the positive spin on it. But like you said, the PR emails, it, it you have to read between the lines on those. Well, of course. I mean, I mean, you can't let the PR keep try to frame it all they want. When the Blackhawks tweet out that Jeremy Collins is the new head coach, everybody knows that that the news is that Jeremy is that Joel Quenville was fired and. You know, that they're doing their job and you just have to do your job. Yeah. So how do you see the goaltending position playing out for the Hawks this coming season? I had a chance to talk with Colin Delia when he was still in Rockford. Uh, was excited to to come up when he did come up during the goaltending carousel when they had Jeff Glass and J.F. Barube up there. But taking us through your insider information, what do you see happening with the goaltending perspective in the Chicago Blackhawks? I think it'll be a pretty even split between Dealey and Malcolm Subban. Uh, they like Kevin Lankin in a lot, but he's the only one who doesn't have to go through waivers to go back to Rockford. So, you know, they're not going to risk losing Dealey or Subban. Uh, so it's going to be those two guys to start. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us assume that Dealey is the guy, 
because you know the, the, the Hawks are high on him. They signed him for a three-year deal a while back, um, and he has performed at this level. He did pretty well when he was up here. Sure. Um, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Malcolm Subban was Corey Crawford's backup in Edmonton during the summer. He's the one who won that job, quote-unquote, during the uh, when Crawford was out with COVID. Uh, during that two-week summer training camp, Subban was the backup. He's, he outplayed Delia in the coaching staff's mind. So I think it'll be a very even split, uh, kind of like a Crawford-Leonard situation was, where if one of the guys gets hot, then he's going to have the net for a while. But the plan, I think, is going to be, you know, it's going to be a very compressed schedule. We're talking about a 54, 56-game schedule yeah. in four months. It's going to be a lot like 2013, when there's going to be a lot of three and four, a lot of back-to-back nights. Um, they're going to be playing these little series with everybody, it looks like. So... Um, I think you're going to see a pretty even split between the two goalies, unless one of them just completely outplays the other uh, and, and really you know commands the net. Yeah, so I, I, I hear what you're saying on that, especially with the even split. I, I really like the comparison between Crawford and Leonard. It really it really makes sense when you're talking about a when you're talking about a goaltending split because you you saw that almost in Las Vegas when one guy when Leonard got hot Flurry took a back seat and vice versa and and I really I really like that point cuz I didn't even consider the fact that Subban had won the job in Edmonton Yeah and you need, you need you need two goalies you know when the Blackhawks were at their best you know it was Crawford and Emery it was Crawford and Ronta it was Crawford and Darling it was Crawford and Leonard as good as Crawford was a, a, a starting goalie is only going to be able to play 70% of the games, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, a, in a league where six points is the difference between making the playoffs and being in the draft lottery, you know, every game matters, especially in a compressed schedule. And again, you go back to 2013, which is going to be the only real analog we have for what this season is going to look like. And Ray Emery got more best in the votes than Corey Crawford did that year. He was undefeated that year. So it, it, the, the backup goalie, or if you call it a backup or 1P or whatever you want to call it, is going to be a hugely important thing. And um, we really need Gilia and Subban both to kind of outplay expectations to any chance of, of, of making the playoffs. Yeah, outplaying expectations. Shifting gears on uh, towards you a little bit, you were with the Sun-Times for a while, now you're with the Athletic. What was the transition like between the Sun-Times and the Athletic, and how has that helped you grow? It was hard at first. I mean, the job I have now is amazing. I mean, it's, it's an amazing place to work, and it's a dream job situation, but it was really hard to rewire my brain. I was in newspapers for years uh, and I've done the Sun-Times beat for six years and uh, when, when you you know when you cover a team like that for a newspaper I was writing every single day I was working 29 days a month probably during the season and from September through you know July some seasons when they were winning up every uh, I was expected to write and have a story in every single edition of the paper and that's how my brain was wired but the news of the day what do I write when can I squeeze in a feature when can I get a column when is it appropriate to weigh in uh, where can I get some analysis pieces and then I can have to write them all in you know 650 words and I was good at that I think I was, I was I'm a newspaper guy it's what I love it's my, I'm very romantic about newspapers but it's hard but if you kind of just become this person who just churned out the work and then all of a sudden I'm at the athletic and they're like write less Right, you know, more interesting stuff. You know, I don't care about you know if Patrick Kane has a new center today, or you know someone got moved to the third line from the fourth line. You don't have to write a notebook about that. You know, tweet it out. That's sufficient, and then work on some bigger picture stuff. And it was hard for me. It took a couple of months for me to really figure out what I was doing because it went against everything in my being to not write the news of the day all the time and to write you know longer. And so I've always wanted to write longer, so that was a good thing. But uh, you really have to rewire your brain and and how you approach the job. You know, when I was in the locker room, I wasn't going to the 
the Taves and Kane scrums, I was talking to someone else uh, while, while the news of the day was happening over there because I was working on some other kind of, you know, interesting story or angle or, or whatever, it was, whatever it is I was trying to do. It took me a few months to kind of figure out how to make it all work, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's really the dream. I mean, I get to do all the, all the stories I like to do, uh, none of the stories that I have to do at the old place, and um, really, and, and there's no space limitations, there's no, I can get as weird as I want, I can write all kinds of weird, dumb stuff that, that fascinates me, uh, it, it, it's, as a, a, from, a, from a creative perspective, it's amazing, I love the Sun-Times, I had the best job in the world at the Sun-Times, I somehow found a better one here. Yeah, and w when you're talking about rewiring your brain, you know, that's, I kind of had that same same kind of transition period going from just doing radio and uh, PA and play-by-play -play to writing newspaper because I was writing, I was going through like a, an oration versus a reading version. And I, and I understand what you're saying when you're saying it takes a couple months to rewire your brain. Yeah, I mean, if you ever like, you know, you think a story, you know, I, I can write like a story that I love and then read it out loud. I think it sounds awful. You know, it's a very different... I always tell people to write the way you talk, and, and, and I have a casual, informal style, I think. But at the same time, the way you write is not the way you speak, and you do have to kind of like, it is it is to use different parts of your brain to make it work. Yeah, using those different parts of your brain. So, and our, our listeners have been asking me about the Dylan Strom saga. Is there any new information that you could maybe provide our listeners that maybe he's getting signed, maybe we won't know for a while, especially with the season coming up? Anything you're hearing about? Nope, nothing at all. No. Uh, we're all kind of waiting on that one. Nobody yeah. has any real news on it. Uh, I, 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 I strong Swiss agents uh, recently that maybe that has something to do with. He's going to sign. Um, it's not really a huge concern. He has no leverage. It's not like getting arbitration rights or anything like that. It's just a matter of whether the Blackhawks want to, you know, give him another one-year prove-it deal and, and lowball him just because of the flat cap, or if they want to sign him for a few years and give him a little bit more to to to, to make it worth his while. That's that's fabulous, and that's rest assured for a lot of people that have been talking to me about this. So before we head out today, who is your under the radar player to watch for Blackhawk fans this season? You know, somebody like somebody that people might not know a lot about, like uh, maybe like a Highmore character or um, an Ian Mitchell character that guys might not know about that this coming season. Well, I mean, obviously Mitchell's going to play a huge role because he's probably going to be paired with Duncan Keith because I think they want Boquist to be with Zadorov. But uh, for me, it's Petey Suter. He's the guy that, that that's going to be really interesting to watch because they need a little more scoring punch, especially with Brandon Saad out. You know, Suter could get walk right into that top-line spot with Taze and Kubalik. And we've seen what a Kubalik can do, uh, you know, walking right in. And before that, you know, even Dominic Cahoon. And before that, Artemi Panera and Eric Gustafson. You know, the Hawks have a good track record with kind of plug-and-play European players. And if Suter can be, you know, 75% of what Kubalik was last year, that's going to be huge for them. And if he's not, if he can't produce at this level, where are the goals going to come from? The bracket doesn't work on that top line with Taze. They've really been a great match. And Nylander's going to be in a top six role probably. And all of a sudden you're looking like, oh, my God, it's just Kane. And, and, and nobody else is going to score the goals. Right. <clears throat> they really need Suter to be a guy who can do what Kubalik did last year. And if he can't, because this team is going to give up a lot of goals. So if they can't score, they're going to be in for a really, really long season. Yeah, and I've seen some of his numbers coming out of, I believe it's the the National League A, right? They think really highly of him. They think he can be a Kuba League. They think he's that kind of player. 
Yeah, and I've seen some of his reels just from watching some stuff on YouTube. It's it's fabulous, and like you said, if he can if he can channel like a fraction of what Kubalik brought, this is going to be huge because then you can move him around. If one line's not do, doing well, you know, you plug him in there, get some momentum going for that line, and move him around, or maybe even put him on the top line with Kane, like you were talking about. Yeah, I mean that's what they need. They need goals. They didn't get enough goals last year, especially with Debrinket having such a, a rough shooting percentage season. Uh, the goals have to come from somewhere, and Suter's going to have to provide some. Yeah, and Suter looks to be one of the future goal scorers. Mark, before we head out today, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners in the U.S., Canada, and beyond? Um, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Yeah. Don't have parties. Stay home for Christmas. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, and I think everybody needs a little bit of that common sense in these days. <laughs> But Mark Lazarus, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Mark Lazarus with The Athletic. Mark, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it.